everyone, and welcome to the Asher Marketing Podcast. I'm Anthony Giuliano, and my guest this week is James O'Connor. James, how you doing? I'm well, thank you. How are you? I am great. Thanks for joining us. It was good to see you at the Purdue University Fort Wayne Basketball Casino Night. Your shoes were quite a hit. Tell us a little bit about the shoes. Thank you. I... Um I am not one who grew up in shoe culture, and so this was my first foray into uh, uh, Jordans, and specifically low uh, Jordans, uh, AJ1s. Uh, mostly, I, li- I-, I liked the-, the color scheme because they were black and gold and white, yep. and uh, with respect to athletics, uh, I grew up a New Orleans Saints fan. Uh-huh. Uh, my okay. wife went to uh, Purdue University, All right. so the Boilermakers, and now that we are Purdue-Fort Wayne and have the same color scheme, there's multiple applications for these shoes. Casino Night was the first time I had a chance to wear them. All right. Well, great. Did you win a lot of fake money at Casino Night? We enjoy that experience for the auction. Yeah. Uh, the casino tables themselves get so busy so fast yeah. that we don't typically play the casino games too okay. much. Okay. But um, we have patterned a number of family vacations based on experiences at that event. Awesome. And so we're there to find out what is our year going to entail. All right. Did you take anything home from the auction this year? Got a really cool T-shirt. And nice. then the big win was a, uh, a fly fishing experience. Oh, wow. At a date yet to be determined. Okay. Um, well, that's great. But for, for those kind of fun experiences, uh, there can be a ton of value built in. Yeah. Uh, in years past, we had the opportunity to tour uh, the U.S. Open tennis in uh, uh, Queens, New York. Yeah. Um, I had never been to uh, the Arthur Ashe Stadium. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this experience gave us a chance to go actually in the bowels underneath the court and actually be in the little cutouts so you could see the players shuffling back and forth. And in uh, and, and a really cool happenstance opportunity, we got a chance to meet Chris Everett oh, and wow. Patrick McEnroe because they oh, were wow. calling a game. Oh, that's great. Uh, but we got that experience through Casino Night. Yeah. And it was a highlight. All right. Well, it sounds like you did pretty well and you didn't lose any real money. So that's great. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks again for being with us. As you know, on this podcast, we talk about career path, talk about the organization that you work for and some of the things you're working on. And there's an especially intriguing angle to your work that I think we'll focus on, and that is NIL, name, image, and likeness in college sports. But we'll start at the beginning, whatever that is for you. Before we hit record, you were telling me you grew up in Louisiana. So tell me a little bit about where you grew up, and when you decided that the world of the law was for you, and how you ended up in Fort Wayne, Indiana, of all places. Uh, so it, it's interesting, it, you know, personal history-wise. Uh, I actually went to my undergrad institution. So I'm from New Orleans, Louisiana, originally, born mm-hmm. and raised. Um, spent the first 18 years of life there. Uh, when it came time to choose a, a path for undergraduate school, I thought I wanted to be a doctor. Ah, Emory okay. University in Atlanta had mm-hmm. about 100% uh, medical school placement okay. for undergrad. And I liked those odds. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I was accepted uh, to Emory. Uh, it was a it was a great experience. Uh, after I had taken all the prereqs and and uh, taken the MCAT and and I got an interview uh, request to the only school I applied to. Okay. Uh, I made that decision with one semester left that that medicine was not going to be for me. Okay. And that I would probably follow the path of law like the four James O'Connors before me had done. <laughs> uh, most of our, our, my parents' friends all knew I would be a lawyer well okay. before I knew I would be a lawyer. Um, so you said you you had just one semester left of med school? That's right. Well, wow. of, of undergrad. Undergrad, uh, okay. The, so no true pre-law classes. Uh, got it, got it, got it. But I had okay. 18 years of life living with lawyers <laughs> to, to know what that would be like. Yeah, and it still didn't scare you away. Uh, it was like a round peg in a round hole. I, yeah. once, it, once it fit, it fit. <laughs> so... 
So tell me a little bit about law school and, and where you go from there. Uh, so with law school really just being, and, you know, it's, it's hard for me to, to fully appreciate the, the dynamic now um, because ultimately the age of the Internet dovetails beautifully with what NIL opportunities mm-hmm. are around. But as I remind my 17-year-old, I, I grew up in an era before there was the Internet. Yes, um, as did I, and I'm thankful for that just about every day. <laughs> you know, it, it, it has given an interesting world perspective. Yeah. Um, but then the path was, um, you, you go to a good undergraduate school, you go to a good professional mm-hmm. school, mm-hmm. and then you establish a career yep. wherever you're going to have life. Yeah. Um, the internet has opened so many doors and so many different avenues that, you know, now you know, there's un- almost unlimited choices. Mm-hmm. Notwithstanding that, to start the career, you know, it, hey, wh- where did you, where, where did you want to live? Mm-hmm. And, and you almost backfilled a career based on sure. setting up a life. Sure. Um, my wife and I chose to start our life in Fort Wayne mm-hmm. because she was from Fort Wayne and okay. we wanted grandparents to be an influence on children. Yep. We didn't know yet. Yeah. So uh, that was the plan. Uh, and now that's been 20 years along the way. Oh, by the way, there's been this uh, information revolution and this yeah. incredible connective device yeah. known as the internet. Uh, and so that's been an interesting twist. Um, but taking my law degree and applying it in Fort Wayne, Indiana, where I had no family, mm-hmm. had some had some connections. Yeah. Um, litigation specifically for me was a very good way to get to know the people of Fort Wayne, mm-hmm. people of Allen County, people of Northeast Indiana. Yeah. Um, eventually. Uh, litigation turned into a focus on employment law. Mm-hmm. Employment law involves a ton of counseling with people. You're not so much in the courtroom solving problems. You might be consulting on the front end, sort of the mm-hmm. ounce of prevention being yep. worth the pound of cure. Yeah. Uh, but in the employment law arena, there's lots of different ways to connect. Sure. Uh, I have an interest in sports. Mm-hmm. And as uh, my wife is a tenured professor now at PFW. Uh, we saw young people who were coming into the world of professional mm-hmm. sports. Yeah, uh, I was able to take my education background and training as an employment lawyer mm-hmm. and counsel them through some of the adult decisions they previously would never know about. Yeah, um, So that was a fun experience and exposure for me. But then as the NIL opportunities came along, what, what I have come to learn is this really is um, an opportunity for young people to start businesses early. Yeah. And so the interest is there. The ability is there for them to have side hustles in their college careers. Yeah. And it, yeah, but just because you have a want to doesn't mean you have the know-how to. Sure. And being a, uh, an employment lawyer having some experience with uh, small business ownership, mm-hmm. uh, you can educate young people and, and just help bring them along because they they may not have had the benefit of, of experience or family members who have done businesses before. Well, and, you know, you, you and I have been involved, um, you more more intimately in the the athletic side at, at Purdue University Fort Wayne, helping athletes understand how to prepare themselves for success in the future. And it's, it's kind of nice to remember um, that we know some stuff and there's things we didn't know when we were 20. You know, there, there was a moment when I was working on a presentation for the basketball team and I said, you know, this, this seems kind of obvious. And then I said, well, it's obvious to me at 52. I don't know how obvious it is to someone at 20. And, you know, that perspective I think is, is very helpful, even if someone is on the right path just to validate that they're making good decisions. That's right. Yeah. So tell us a little bit, you do this work for Barrett and McNagney and we've had Molly Rommel on the podcast previously, mm-hmm. 
But tell us your perspective on Barrett, and then we'll get deep into the NIL weeds. But tell us a little bit about um, Barrett. What's the firm like, and, and what's been your experience there? What do you think they do especially well? So my perspective is a, is, um, a little different than most of the attorneys who have practiced there, only because I, I come from New Orleans and from a family of lawyers. Yes. Um, you know, so many of our young lawyers who may not have lawyers in the family mm-hmm. come in and they think, hey, it's a cool building. These are nice lawyers to learn from. But you know, for me, there's a competitive advantage in the practice of law when you can be affiliated with an institution as old as mm-hmm. Barrett McNagney. Mm-hmm. When you have uh, a law firm that has been uh, handing out uh, good, high-quality legal service and advice to a number of of businesses, not just based in Fort Wayne, not just in Northeast Indiana, but the state and, and sometimes the, uh, the nation, um, you know, there's an instant credibility mm-hmm. that for a young lawyer from New Orleans who didn't have these connections to be able to say, uh, I'm an associate at Barrett McNagney, gave me credibility in the community that I wouldn't have otherwise earned. Yeah. All right. 20 years later, I, I'd like to think I've put myself in a position to be a value add to the sure. to the current makeup of attorneys to be able to say, yep, uh, James has been with us for 20 years and this is the kind of output you can expect from a Barrett lawyer. Yeah, well, ultimately, you're in a relationship business. It's a it's a business where reputation is everything. And if you can get a little bit of that tailwind coming in the door at the start of your career, that's an advantage, especially, I mean, you and I have in common the fact that um, when, when we moved here, we knew almost no one and have built a career from the ground up. And that's in your line of work, you need the credibility, you know, even to a greater extent than I do in my line of work. But it really comes down to making the most of that association with the firm and then hopefully passing on to the next generation an even better reputation. It was an important component of having the door opened, having the opportunity to present. Then once you have the opportunity, you have to deliver a high-quality product. Uh, to the client yeah. so that they can have faith and confidence that, okay, you, you're capable of giving us the work. We're glad we trusted the organization initially. Mm-hmm. Now we have a better uh, understanding of of the face with this name and the kind of uh, advice we can expect. Yeah. So do you do most of your work in Northeast Indiana or is it further afield than that? Uh, so for the first part of my career, it was almost exclusively in Northeast mm-hmm. Indiana. Uh, I can't think of a a courthouse in Northeast Indiana that I haven't been in, okay. and I've been in a healthy number of them, even to the west of the state, uh, north of uh, north of Indy. Um, so to get to know the people, get to know the geography was important for that part. Now, given the nature of my work, uh, it, it has become a little uh, larger in scope. Uh, I, I do a lot of drafting for executive contracts, and, and the companies uh, could be located literally anywhere. Mm-hmm. So we just finished a, up a very large project where a, a client was acquiring an entity in California, mm-hmm. and um, California has some very strict rules about what constitutes the practice of law there. Sure. So being able to engage with local counsel mm-hmm. uh, to, to work collaboratively uh, on a project, uh, make sure we dot all the I's, cross all the T's, and do it in a compliant way. Yes, that's that's the name of the game, uh, but the the world is opening. Yeah, for sure. All right, so tell me how you get from labor and employment law to, to NIL. Build a bridge, and, and maybe let's start with, for those who aren't aware of, of NIL, what is it, why does it matter, how is it affecting student-athletes today? So I mentioned briefly uh, before the, the connection to uh, Purdue-Fort Wayne athletes as they were taking the step from college sports into professional mm-hmm. sports. 
with my employment law background and experience, being able to educate young professionals who happen to work in a sports environment. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, some of the underpinnings, the the infrastructure of a work environment don't change just mm-hmm. because it happens to be a really cool place to work. Yep. So educating them on what they could reasonably expect and the kinds of uh, roles people would be playing in their world, mm-hmm. uh, agents, for example, yep. being able to educate them on, okay, you've been presented with an agent contract. Uh, if you're going to be an international player, you need to know what international employment rules are going to apply to that instance. Mm-hmm. And is the contract drafted according to best practices or standards within the industry? Well, that meant I had to know what those were sure. to be sure. able to identify <laughs> sure. the issues. Sure. So as as the young people had a need and I had an interest, I acquired the skill set to be able to counsel them accordingly. Okay. Um, you know, jumping forward then to NIL the same principles of young people who have quasi-employment-related issues, i.e. earning compensation. It just happens to be in connection with name, image, and likeness as opposed to wages, mm-hmm. a, a separate component of employment compensation. Yeah, uh, There's an important distinction between those two concepts. Yep, and sure. that's not something that even a lot of undergraduate professors can educate them about. Sure. So if I'm in a position where I have a skill set and an ability to educate and consult, um, and it's fun for me to watch these young people grow. Yeah, uh, I'm I'm actually developing a client base with this person, and sure. this person, um, you know, while they're earning NIL compensation in college, eventually may move into their own business. They may move into management at a local business. Um, the the point is, I'm building a relationship with the individual, mm-hmm. and with wherever that individual's career goes, they may need legal services for sure. And so the so there's a comebacker. Yeah, and and they also are probably at some point in their career, even if they don't need legal services, they will know someone who will. That's right. So NIL, just to lay the groundwork, is name, image, and likeness. It's the opportunity for student-athletes to be compensated for really promoting products and services. Right. Is that correct? And this this was, as we talked about earlier, this was a 180 where it was forbidden, you couldn't do it. And there's, you know, a lot of people who are speculating, well, it was happening anyway, so this just makes it, you know, reputable. Um, There are some people who say, best thing ever, athletes should be compensated, it's the free market at work. There's other people saying, this is going to be a disaster, it's the worst thing ever. Help us sort that out. And and obviously, some of it is opinion, but what's the reality of it? What do you think the, the lay of the land is? Based on what we know today, and there's obviously a lot we still have to learn. So we're only about four months deep into the rights of student-athletes to capitalize. Mm-hmm. Um, even before the rights existed, the conventional wisdom suggested that like, just because an, an athlete had the opportunity to capitalize or, or might be in a position one day doesn't mean that uh, a consuming public is going to put their buying or purchase power into what the athlete is promoting. Sure. Uh, and it doesn't mean that a business is going to invest its uh, marketing budget into an athlete with an unproven ROI return. Sure. sure. Uh, so you know, you know, now, to your point about... Um, before July 1 of 2021, um, the NCAA's prohibition on on permitting athletes to receive this level of compensation, you know, as it happens, there's a, a fair amount of litigation involving the NCAA on a variety of factors, one of which includes, you know, are athletes employees? What, was yeah. it wrong for them to squelch the opportunity for NIL compensation? And, and some of that is, is active and ongoing as we speak. Mm-hmm. Um, 
the NCAA was put in a spot where, in my opinion, uh, the state of Florida had taken a hard plant-the-flag stance and said, as of July 1, 2021, we will permit our student-athletes to receive this compensation. In other words, they passed a statute that said no association, read NCAA, mm-hmm. could deem ineligible an athlete who received NIL dollars. Okay. All right. Well, not wanting to be left behind, states mm-hmm. like uh, Nebraska, Colorado, California, uh, Get where New Jersey fell into that. They may have come along a little bit later, but there were about six states that jumped in hard mm-hmm. and agreed. And so July 1, 2021 became a pretty important date where sure. the NCAA, who really only exists by virtue of an agreement amongst universities to have them regulate their industry, mm-hmm. um, would then ha- be in a spot to say, look, we're not a lawmaking body. We're not Congress. We're not a state legislature. Mm-hmm. We can't override what the state of Florida has done, so we better embrace it. Mm-hmm. And so just on the Eve before, they came out with a new position statement and said, effective uh, June 30, 2021, we are rescinding our prior prohibition against uh, the ability for student athletes to receive this kind, subject to, and then they put together three or four bullet points that largely uh, summarized or were bullet points that you saw in various states' legislation. So mm-hmm. they picked sort of the best practices of what was starting to come in in uh, from the various states and said, as long as the school is compliant with these general principles, then it's going to be okay. Okay. Well, the challenge with that is you wind up with a wild, wild west yeah, where sure. it's undefined and what can you do or what yeah. can't you do. Um, there is currently seven pieces of proposed federal legislation that would basically preempt and overwrite all of the individual states. Okay. Uh, the nice thing from the employment lawyer in me is when you have one uniform baseline standard of a law, then it doesn't matter, and it comes from the feds, it doesn't matter what the states are doing. Mm-hmm. Federal law through a concept called preemption mm-hmm. trumps state law. Mm-hmm. That actually creates the most level playing field sure. for all the states, all the schools within sure. those states, yeah. so that student-athletes have a little bit of certainty. Sure, and well, one of the things that's at play here for sure is the possibilities for a starting quarterback at LSU are very different than, you know, someone who might be playing tennis at a less well-known Division right. One school. So how are you counseling? How are you working with student-athletes now? What are you telling them? What are some of the opportunities? What are some of the pitfalls? And what, what advice are you giving them? So uh, you bring up a good point about the uh, relative success stories, yeah. right? Um, this is the marketplace at work. Mm-hmm. Just because a student-athlete has the opportunity to capitalize doesn't mean he or she actually sure. will. That all depends on the willing buyer, mm-hmm. the, the, uh, the company offering the dollars, and the willing seller, or the name, image, and likeness uh, recipient, right? So the success and the degree of success is going to follow some pretty traditional business philosophies, mm-hmm. right? If you're the quarterback for LSU, you're quarterback for Alabama, um, uh, gosh, the goalie for the IU women's soccer team, yeah. you know, there are going to be certain positions where people have just more eyes on you. Absolutely. The more yeah. eyes you have on you, the more followers you have in today's social yep. media world, yep. the greater value you can be to a brand. Yeah. So what I'm telling young people is, you're a brand ambassador. Mm-hmm. If you want to be getting NIL dollars, you're recognizing that you're a salesperson, mm-hmm. you're a brand ambassador. Mm-hmm. You have to conduct yourself yeah. like a professional so that a business has its faith and confidence to be affiliated with you. Yep. And hopefully they're already doing that by virtue of being part of a team. I know that, you know, when I was working with Coach Kaufman, one of the things that he made very clear, and I was glad he did, was that, you know, the, the what we're asking or recommending students do or advising them to do here 
in some cases is no different than what we advise them to do as representatives of the university. And I think that's a good way, good entry point. It's kind of like, you know, you you are now about something bigger than yourself. You need to remember that at every touch point. You know, NIL presents a really interesting continuation of the purpose for the undergraduate institution mm-hmm. and college sports within that institution. Mm-hmm. If you're, if the core mission is to educate young people just from an academic standpoint, fine. If then you know, you're training job skills to help uh, ensure uh, that the young person has the ability to earn a higher income later, great. Uh, college sports teaches all the other great life lessons, mm-hmm. perseverance, skills, working as a team, things like that. Well, so now you're marrying these concepts with NIL to say, you're getting these core competencies in marketing, in business management, job skills. Mm-hmm. You have a unique opportunity, a platform, if you will, for uh, fans of the sport to watch how you do it. Mm-hmm. And now you're getting early exposure to uh, capitalizing yep. on the business skills yeah. that the school should be teaching you. Yeah. So. I have heard that some uh, coaches are hesitant to embrace NIL. This is across many, many yeah, schools. Sure. Just because they don't understand it. Yeah. All right. Well, just because you don't understand it doesn't mean it's it's not going to ultimately benefit your student athletes. Mm-hmm. And isn't it part of then your mission in raising young people to be good stewards of the community, to be ambassadors for yeah. your university, uh, to to do the best job they can, not only selling themselves, uh, but then perhaps marketing with, with people and developing business skill set? Yeah. Well, and, and the way that I've seen Coach Kaufman leverage it, and I, I applaud this, I think this is great, is to say, think long term. Think about how NIL can benefit you. And, and one of the things he said, and I want to get your take on this too, is that while, you know, certainly Purdue University Fort Wayne doesn't have the fan base of an LSU or an Alabama, it's a unique opportunity because of the size market that it is, is there's plenty of opportunity. I know one of the things that I've enjoyed most about building a career here is the opportunity to connect with people because there's two degrees of separation. Everybody knows someone who you want to meet and very easy to make those, those build those relationships. Also, you know, from a division one athletic standpoint, it's the only game in town and you have an athlete base that while we do, you know, we're, we're fortunate to have other pro sports teams, many pro sports teams, a lot of those athletes come and go year to year. So it's a unique opportunity here. What's your take on that and how students might leverage what's unique about Fort Wayne? So for as, as um, much, you know, we, I have, we were talking about earlier, I have three daughters, um, we don't skew towards athletics as much as we skew towards uh, show choir. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, and, and that's great. Show yep. choir is fantastic. Yep. Ton of entertainment. But I see friends of ours who have invested big time, time, effort, energy, resources in developing hockey skills, travel soccer skills, football skills, basketball skills. Well, PFW winds up bringing in athletes from all over the nation mm-hmm. to come play in, yeah. in Purdue Fort Wayne. To your point about Fort Wayne being two degrees of separation, these young people who are in some cases getting exposed to Fort Wayne for the very first time are seeing what a neat community it is. And just like businesses embrace the culture of Fort Wayne, these athletes are then saying, you know what? I could see a life in Fort Wayne. Yeah, for sure. uh, For the cost of living, for the quality of the employment, et cetera, et cetera. Um, So pitching the notion of as a student athlete at Purdue Fort Wayne or any of, because the NIL rules will apply all the way down to an sure. AIA level, sure. um, being exposed to and embracing relationships with employers mm-hmm. is a really good way to ensure that the talent 
at the yeah, college level now sure. stays and supplements the workforce we need in Fort Wayne anyway. Yeah, and there's that very uh, that high potential for a symbiotic relationship where the city needs institutions like Purdue University, Fort Wayne to build its workforce. The colleges need the student recruitment, uh, the ability to recruit students from, you know, in a time of a population cliff coming. They need to be able to recruit students from all over the country and around the world. And the student is looking for an opportunity. And I think we're fortunate here in Northeast Indiana to have multiple colleges that can be feeders for the future workforce. Um, NIL is just a small part of that, but it might be the draw. You know, the opportunity might be the draw that keeps a student here in the long run. Yeah. Uh, let's take, for example, there's a, an insurance program at St. Francis. Yeah. Uh, there are a number of insurance companies based in Fort Wayne. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you had the right uh, student athlete who was involved in uh, an NIL opportunity at St. Francis getting exposure to a Fort Wayne-based insurance company, yeah. boy, isn't it nice to be able to say, oh, I, I, I would like to apply for the internship at yeah. the company who has already paid me to rep their brand. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, students have a short-term opportunity in that they can partner with a company. A lot of it might be on the retail side where they partner and they act as a spokesperson for that company, gets that company in front of an audience that maybe they can't get in front of on their own, a younger audience or an audience of, of you know, fans of that sport. There's also the long-term opportunity to use NIL to build a brand, build relationships, and think about, you know, long-term career. Can can student athletes have it both ways, or do they need to pick either path? Uh, well, because there are short term goals and long term goals, you really can have both. Mm-hmm. Um, and and if you know you only have so many years of of eligibility to play a sport, you know uh, it's almost like internships. The more NIL opportunities you have and exposure to other companies who might want to sponsor you, uh, doesn't mean you have to be pigeonholed into one particular uh, company. Uh, in other words, if you have a a degree in uh, electrical engineering, but you wind up getting an NIL sponsorship deal in a, in a retail sector, yeah. a student athlete might say, you know what, but for my NIL opportunity, I would never have known that I enjoy this facet of business. Sure. Sure. Uh, so there, there can be a short-term goal of exposure to all different kinds of industries to confirm a career path. Yeah. And then the more certain a young person is about the path they're on, well, that in theory should suggest long-term success or comfort with the chosen path. Yeah. So, so for the the audience that that hopefully is listening, I hope some of you are out there listening to this podcast who are largely marketers. What's the opportunity for them? Might sound like an obvious question, but what's the opportunity for companies that are looking to tell their story to reach an audience and and how can they leverage NIL in that way? There's to me two immediate ways jump to mind. Uh, the, the first is, as you indicated, exposure to a different uh, demographic yep. group, one that – so if depending on what your product or service is, yeah. um, this athlete is going to have different eyes on him or her that, that may not have existed traditionally mm-hmm. before. Yep. All right. So ultimately, demographic focus, that's one thing. Some small businesses might just be real fans if they're alumni of their particular university and they just want to support the cause. Mm -hmm. Now, there's a delicate balance in all of the NIL legislation about pay-for-play and Mm pay-to-play. Those are two serious no-nos, and and the NCAA will come down hard on anything that they deem to be um, not fair market value-based. Sure. So we can't allow NIL to be just a... uh, uh, a cloak for illegal recruiting. Yeah. So right. to use an example, um, it's it's plausible 
that a school could say, hey, I know you're looking at multiple schools, but if you come here, we'll guarantee a million-dollar contract with retailer down the road, and the boosters will will help pay for that because they really want you to come here. That's that's not that's, really yeah, above that, board right that's, now. That's yeah. still a prohibitive. <laughs> yeah. that, that, that would, in that fact pattern, a pretty clear violation of a recruiting yeah. pay-for-play <laughs> yeah. um, or, or pay-to-play um, yeah. scenario. That, sure. that is not okay. Yeah. Now, because we're still four months into an mm-hmm. otherwise undefined patchwork of states-based uh, structure, there's going to be a lot of feeling out. Oh, sure. What tests the bounds sure. and what doesn't. And if you have a legal concept as generic as fair market value, mm-hmm. and if fair market value is defined as what is a willing seller going to give a willing buyer, all right, well, there's a ton of uh, a leeway, leeway in yeah. there. A number of uh, federal laws, a number of uh, consortiums and think tanks who have been working in the NIL space have advocated for sort of a collective database mm-hmm. to help establish and with actual uh, research and, and transaction-oriented data be able to say, look, we can define what fair market value is based on industry standards sure. so that if you have a million dollars going to the fifth best golfer on an already low-level uh, low mid tier program. Yeah. Okay, maybe that's going to raise some <laughs> sure, flags. Sure. Sure. Um, now, on the flip side, if you have every SEC starting quarterback with a car deal and a shoe deal and a housing deal, hmm, that that could be what the industry says is sure. fair market value. Sure. Sure. And I th- and I'm sure that one of the one of the entities asking questions are the students themselves, saying, "What am What is my NIL worth. You know, I have X number of followers on social media. My team, you know, is in, you know, is in this conference. What does that mean? What should I be asking? There are a number of uh, software-based platforms that are already uh, working as a clearinghouse. uh, And in some cases, uh, the student-athlete need only apply Mm -hmm. to be a subscriber or a member to that platform. And that uh, software will uh, that company will act as the clearinghouse or intermediary uh, to connect the athlete with potential NIL opportunities. Uh-huh. Um, when you have the same uh, thoroughfare, same conduit, same uh, uh, entity, to the extent they are promoting themselves as uh, you know, ensuring compliance, mm-hmm. that's where you're going to have some value add in the service they provide sure. because they're going to be able to say, based on our data, mm-hmm. we know you can reasonably expect. Now, for the most part, at very early stages, these deals are very low level. Yeah. I mean, I'm seeing things like uh, between $25 and $75 for a 24-hour post on social media. Yeah. Uh, it might be an in-kind donation. Mm-hmm. That's going to be a very popular way for business owners to do something um, just because business owners, if they're really looking at it from an ROI standpoint, they're looking to stretch out marketing dollars. Oh, sure. Possible. Sure. Yeah. So – uh, in addition to playing by the rules, what else do marketers need to know in order to decide if if an opportunity is right for them? So it depends on on how far the reach of this particular podcast goes, but because every state is going to treat things a little differently in the absence of federal legislation. Yeah. Indiana, for example, has no NIL law, which means it resorts back to school policy. Mm-hmm. Uh, for marketers who are interested in uh, discussing NIL opportunities – you're going to need to know whether the university will permit their use of intellectual property. Mm-hmm. Uh, here at uh, Purdue Fort Wayne, for example, we've been talking about them a bit. If you want the mastodon to be in the picture with your chosen uh, athlete, that's going to require a level of clearance that the athlete may not be able to provide. Yep. 
And it doesn't mean the school won't provide it. It just may mean that there's a licensing fee associated yeah, sure. with it or an extra set of eyes that have to document the, the proper use of sure. that. Sure. And in some states, it's as simple, if my understanding is correct, in some states, it's as simple as you can't wear any team gear if you're you know, taking advantage of an LIL opportunity. Whereas here, school by school, my understanding is Purdue University Fort Wayne says, as long as you have approval, you can be in your team gear when you're representing a business. What you've touched on in, in, uh, in a roundabout sort of way is what I call the conflicts and disclosure component to okay. NIL. And I've actually put together a, plat- a program. Um, uh, it's, it, it reads like a pamphlet, but it's called the ABCs of NIL. Uh-huh. And it specifically identifies for any consumer, whether you're in administration, whether you're the parent, of a student with an NIL opportunity, whether you're the athlete or the coaches who who need to know about it. It educates the reader on um, A stands for attorneys and agents. What role do they play? B stands for banned industries. What can't the athlete do? Mm-hmm. C and D, conflicts and disclosures. Mm-hmm. And so what you've touched on is the school may have an official apparel partner. Mm-hmm. And if, uh, if you're an Under Armour school and you know that for all official team activities, the expectation is they're wearing UA gear yeah. and Nike, Adidas, or Puma, or Reebok want to come in and say, okay, athlete, we want you to wear yeah. our merch then the athlete has to know to to identify the issue, bring it to the forefront of the school administrator and say, I've been asked yeah. to rep this merch in unofficial context. Mm-hmm. When can I wear this so that I can engage in the yeah. NIL deal? Yeah. Yeah. So this is pretty complicated. <laughs> There's a lot of layers. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and NIL could take up all your time, but I'm <laughs> assuming it doesn't. What other things, switching gears for just a second, what are some of the other things that you're working on? And obviously being an attorney, you can't share all the details, but what are some of the other things that occupy your time that are on your plate that are exciting to you, or keeping you up at night, or maybe all those things? Uh, so because my career started heavy, heavy litigation, I still have my hand in a number of, of litigation-based things. That means jury trials. That means depositions and mediations. Uh, So I've got a couple of trials slated in the next couple of months. There's a ton of effort and energy that goes into those. Uh, You talk about marketing and sales. There's a a big component of salesmanship in in jury trials. (laughs) Sure. Uh, depositions, mediations are other components and steps along the way. Um, All of that requires preparation and execution. Um, You know, contract drafting doesn't require as much talking. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's a little more computer-based. Yeah. But sometimes it's a nice pivot and a way to to think differently. Sure. And everything that's going on with OSHA and the federal government right now, I won't won't go down that road too far because we will get hate mail regardless of what I say. Um, But that, I'm sure, is keeping you very busy and keeping employers up at night right now. Well, and you hit the nail on the head. When the rules of the game change Mm -hmm. in an employment context, the people who are running those teams, running those businesses want to make sure they're doing it right. Yeah. Uh, the tie-in between employment law and compliance and regulation then for me is a natural feed into NIL because it's a brand new thing. Yep. And the more uh, you can uh, shed light on issues that people have an interest in, yeah. that's the fun part. Yeah, for uh, sure. That's the fun part. For sure. Okay, well, we're going to switch now to the speed round of the show where we sort of sum up with three questions that sound a little bit like some of the things we've talked about but that are more concise. At least I ask the 
guessed to make it more concise. My questions aren't often concise, but I'll try. So first question has to do with career path. Um, you've built a successful career as an attorney. You've worked for the same place for a number of years, but you've done different things in that role. What's your best advice in terms of building a successful career? If you were talking to your 17-and-a-half-year-old daughter or one of your other daughters or someone, uh, one of the athletes maybe who you're working with, and they said, what does it take to build a successful career? What would you tell them? You know, make sure you're, you're good at what you do, your core competencies, and then allow yourself the freedom to evolve. Um, for me, I know myself well enough that doing the same thing on a rote basis all day, every day would be so monotonous that I would burn out fast. Yeah. Um, it doesn't mean that uh, I haven't enjoyed 17 plus years of litigation specifically. Sure. That develops a skill set that has other applications. Sure. Uh, that application could be used teaching uh, high, uh, college administrators about NIL. So uh, allowing myself the freedom to uh, change the interest, but still being able to uh, put food on the table and provide uh, for the people who are depending on me um, is is a nice uh, permission to have granted my 17-year-old self to say, yes, get started, get get a little messy, get some experience, get roughed up, learn how to do what you're doing very well, and then be ready to take that skill set and pivot as necessary. Because if you're evolving and you have different ways to apply yourself, frankly, there's some job security with that. Yeah, for sure. As long as you can solve a problem and be useful, you will have a career but you're probably not going to be doing the same thing 10 years from now that you're doing today. The concept of value-add has lots of applications. Yeah, for sure. Okay, second question. Um, and this is one where I'm going to throw you a little bit of a curveball. You are from four generations of attorneys, a family with four generations Correct. of attorneys. What do you think is the biggest misconception about attorneys? Here's your chance to clear it up. What And what is the reality based on? And maybe all the misconceptions are actually well, accurate. So <laughs> part, I'll I'll. I'll I'll shade the answer this way. The stereotypes, the reason the jokes and, and the stereotypical punchlines for jokes about lawyers are funny is because there's a there's a kernel of truth in a lot of them, <laughs> right? Um, and so having a, some degree of self-awareness to be able to to understand what the joke is and how it's predicated, um, that's that that's okay. Um, it, it is kind of funny that particularly uh, in litigation, um, the, the people who are literally paid to, to orate and stand and, and make statements, some are bold and some are not so bold, um, you know, in some cases, uh, whether it's ego, whether it's sense, they can be very sensitive people. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it is funny to see how uh, a well-timed uh, jab yeah. uh, can, can really cut like a lance. Yeah. Yeah, there's a, I think it was just recently, Love Your Lawyer Day was celebrated. And a, a friend of mine who's an attorney, we had a lot of fun with that one. Mm-hmm. There wasn't a lot of love being shown to him on that day or any day, but uh, it's comes. It's something you probably know coming into the profession. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. All right, last question. Uh, we've been through a lot in the last couple of years, and I think everyone has experienced changes of one sort or another, some more profound than others. But what have you learned over the past couple of years, something you didn't know before the pandemic that has changed your perception in a way that you think will stick with you? What's something that sort of disrupted your work life that uh, has changed things forever, maybe in a good way, maybe in a not so good way, but you think is here to stay? Yeah, the Well, going back to uh, the use of the internet as an important uh, tool for productivity, yeah. 
uh, the idea that, and, and at some point sooner than later, the American Bar Association will have to update uh, some of their rules and regulations for how attorneys provide legal services, mm. uh, specifically anything that limits the attorney to uh, a geography. Yeah. Um, just because I hold an Indiana license, yeah. if I yeah. want to be in New Orleans visiting my mom, sure. I should be able to uh, provide uh, legal services uh, consistent with uh, the best practices and my license in Indiana. Yeah. Uh, some of the rules have already adopted that way. Sure. Um, but I, that I, I think you'll see um, yeah. things like uh, you know, video conferencing. Lawyers would much prefer to do a deposition live. Mm-hmm. Uh, in some cases, that's not as possible. Sure. Uh, so utilization of video conferencing technology, that's here to stay. Yeah, uh, for mediation, sure. that kind of participation. I still believe that jury trials will require a component part of, of an in-person mm-hmm. attendance just mm-hmm. because of the experience and, and using uh, exhibits. Um, there's always going to be a need for that. But you know, even in a, um, an industry that can be as stodgy as the practice of law, uh, we, we really can incorporate technology to be efficient. Yeah, for sure. And I think it's something that, um, you know, demand is going to drive that kind of in an interesting way, kind of like what happened with NIL, this reality got ahead of the rules and the rules had to catch up. And maybe that'll happen with the practice of law as well. One can hope. Yeah. Well, James, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure having you on the podcast. Really appreciate learning more about your work and uh, the work you're doing with the students over at Purdue University, Fort Wayne. This is a great conversation. Thanks for having me. And thanks to everyone who took the opportunity to listen to this episode of the Asher Marketing Podcast. We'll be back next time with another great guest, and we hope you'll join us then. 